Today's conversation is with Connor O'Leary. Connor runs a business called Modern Functional Wellness that helps people with chronic and mysterious illnesses. In this conversation, Connor walks us through his own journey of healing and how that led him to the methods that he uses to help others. We learn about the power of the energy genesis, his coaching methods, and why the future of medicine requires a holistic approach to health. Please enjoy this conversation with Connor O'Leary. We're live. Yeah, we're live now. We're rolling. Action. Yeah. All right. So um, tell me a little bit about your story or uh, however much you want to go into it. Well, um, I figured I would start with the story because it's, you really have to know that to understand how I got here. Right. Um, like when I, you know, when I graduated high school, I never imagined that I was, I would be in working in the field that I'm working in. Mm-hmm. It was never on my mind. Um, it was definitely providential and it was, uh, it was a very unusual path. It was a very unusual way to get here. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I figured I'd start with my story and then kind of go from there into how I got here and you know what the future looks like. Cool. So all right. Well, let's hear it. <laughs> okay. So so yeah, um, I got really really sick um, about seven years ago, a little more than seven years ago. Now I started to get really sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't that long after I graduated high school. It was like a year and a half afterwards. Um, and I went to, I, I ended up going to a number of different doctors and no one could figure out what was going on. Um, it started off with, um, emotional symptoms. So it started off primarily with like anxiety and that progressed to panic attacks And that progressed to um, weird, just like inexplicable physical pain. Um, And that progressed to food sensitivities. And then eventually it it got to the point where like I couldn't listen to music because I was so sensitive to sound. Um, And I I had to uh, black out the windows in my apartment because I was so sensitive to light. Um, And I went to, you know, I, I started off going to just like, you know, your conventional MD and um, he was like, well, you know, I guess you're, you're, you're stressed right now. You're going through a lot of stress. That's normal. You know, you're, you're 19. That's normal. Um, you know, uh, just suck it up and uh, you know, you'll probably get over it and you'll be fine. And that was almost, almost literally what he told me. Um, <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I guess that's that. You know, because they ran, they ran a few tests and they was like, well, there's nothing, we can't really tell if there's anything major wrong with you. Like you look pretty, it looks pretty normal. Yeah. So I, you know, started uh, just taking some like natural calming supplements and just kind of pushing through. And the symptoms did oh, day to day feel like, how did you feel like day to day? Day to day, um, I felt constantly on edge. Like. Okay constantly on edge um and eventually i felt constantly exhausted but day to day like i would i would go to bed and i would i would go to sleep almost as soon as i got home from work because 
being that on edge was just was so uncomfortable. Like sleep was the only escape. Yeah. Um, and then I wake up and start all over again. And um, eventually I ended up in Mayo Clinic um, and they ran a whole bunch of tests and they, they handed me a diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome, um, which is a diagnosis of exclusion. So what that means is we can't find anything clinically wrong with you, um, but you meet, the, you, know, you meet the criteria for X number of symptoms and we call that basket of symptoms chronic fatigue syndrome. And we've seen it before, but we don't really know what causes it? We think it's we think it's neurological, but we don't really know what it is. Um, some people get better, but we don't really know why. Um, and you know, we can teach you how to manage your symptoms, but we can't we can't promise you a cure. We'll just teach you how to get as much quality of life as you can, um, the way you are, essentially. You know, and we might prescribe you some pain meds if your pain med if your pain gets too bad, but that's about it. Did you have physical pain or was it all just uh, kind of exhaustion? I had physical pain, I had physical pain. Like especially, I, I remember my face would ache constantly. Um, and I thought it was a sinus issue at first, but it wasn't. Um, and then I also had this pain, which is hard to describe because I could feel it in my body, but it didn't feel like an entirely physical pain. Like I couldn't really pinpoint like exactly this is where I feel it. Mm -hmm. And yet it was physical. It's, it's kind of hard to describe. It was, was almost it? like, it's uh, almost like a burning sensation, like through, through like my entire body. Do you ever feel like when you sit in a position too long and um, it's almost as if like uh, your fascia uh, burns? It's again, it's, it's hard to describe, but um, I don't know if that's that's something like well. I've heard people describe facial pain, and I don't I don't think it fit. Okay. I've heard people describe it, and I don't think it fit. You know, I've heard people describe nerve pain, facial pain, things like that, um, and it didn't really didn't really fit with that. Um, and I have a hard time describing what it was because I can't I couldn't pinpoint like this is where it hurts. Mm -hmm. It just hurt. Okay. Um, it's kind of a weird sensation. Um, so I, I went home after that diagnosis and just sort of became a hermit for a little over a year. Um, was in this tiny little apartment, one bedroom apartment. Um, all the windows blacked out. Um, people would bring me food because I was at that point so weak. Like I had a, I had a hard time taking a shower. Um, and I would have to kind of ration my energy, mm -hmm. like to make sure I could stand that long. Um, and uh, it was really, really demoralizing. And I just spent all my time um, just researching, just researching and trying to find a solution and trying basically anything, basically anything, you name it, I tried it. Um, and nothing worked. And something's, something's made it worse. Um, I tried some natural supplements from a, a, a naturopath and it actually made the symptoms worse, interestingly enough. Um, and then I was on Ambien for sleep. I was prescribed Ambien for sleep because paradoxically I was exhausted physically and mentally, but I could not sleep. 
And I could eventually take like the maximum safe dose of Ambien and, uh, and sleep like three hours. Mm -hmm. What would wake you up? Was it like a, a mentally like um, an anxiety or was it the physical pain or um, maybe? I don't know. Like I, I could never, I would never wake up and be like, Oh, is this thing? Um, I would just wake up and my, my, I could, my nervous system was just revved and I wouldn't necessarily wake up with, um, like a, a panic attack, although sometimes I would, but I would wake up uh, and just feel like my system was really revved up and, um, and I would be in pain, but again, it would be that pain of like, you know, I can't really describe it. Like an amorphous, like, uh, yeah. 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 Um, so, so that continued for a while. And then I came across this, um, this program that was developed by a Canadian therapist who had had not exactly what I did, but one of those illnesses where doctors were like, well, uh, you know, either it's in your head, you know, it's a, a quote unquote psychosomatic illness, or we just have no answers for you. Mm -hmm. And she theorized that these types of illnesses, and those are things like multiple chemical sensitivity, uh, um, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, um, and a number of other things of that nature are brain injuries, because your brain is the control center for your entire body. Mm -hmm. And if, if your brain is essentially miswired, um, it can cause very physical, emotional, but also very physical symptoms. And when I read that explanation and I watched her video, I, it felt intuitively correct to me. It just, it seemed to really fit with my experience of the illness. Um, you know, cause I had, I had read a lot of different theories and none of them really made sense to me. You know, I was willing to test them out, but none of them ever felt right to me. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people told me what I had was an autoimmune disease, um, nothing, and, and it turned out not to be. Um, but that explanation felt right to me because I could tell that my symptoms had a, a strong mental component. Like uh, anything that affected my emotions had not a not a curative effect on my symptoms but had a significant impact on the intensity and duration can you link anything um anything in your life that like you would go through some type of experience day to day and then the symptoms would worsen or get better or anything like that um i mean anything that that brought any kind of positive emotion generally improved my symptoms, you know, somewhat, at least five or 10%. Mm -hmm. um, and if I had, if something happened that was particularly positive, um, you know, I could regain a certain amount of energy. Um, I, you know, could, could sleep a little longer or something like that, but it was always temporary. Right. Uh, so yeah, any, really anything that generated any kind of positive, emotion mm -hmm. was temporarily helpful. Um, so I started, I started on this program and the program was based on, it's like a combination of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, 
visualization, um, neuro-linguistic programming. And the idea was you would, you would trigger a symptom, you know, you would do something that would trigger a symptom. And then you would go into this script where you would actually sort of talk your, you'd be like talking your brain through it and like trying to calm your brain down. And then you would uh, do two visualizations. You do the memory visualization, which is basically you remember any kind of positive experience, like a really positive experience from your life, something that's got a lot of good emotion in it. You, you visualize that in as much detail as you can. Uh, and then you, you do that for five or 10 minutes. And then you go into what they would call the future visualization, where you would visualize yourself doing something that you can't do now. Um, but you, you try and bring all of that positive emotion into the future visualization. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind that is um, your brain is, is neuroplastic. So your brain changes, physically changes in response to experience. Um, that it's the basis of all learning. Um, you know, it's the reason that when you start out learning to play an instrument, for instance, um, at first you're probably pretty bad at it, but after enough repetition, it becomes like second nature. And that's because it's physically changing the structure of your brain in such a way that um, you become proficient at, at that activity. And that's, that's kind of a neutral quality um, because it can call, you can have positive and negative change um, in response to trauma. And that's, that could be physical trauma, that could be emotional trauma. Um, your, your brain can rewire itself in a very unhelpful way in a way that's self-protective. You know, it's trying to protect you from further harm. Mm -hmm. So you get anxiety, you get constant anxiety, um, and your brain goes into kind of this self-protective mode where you're, you're experiencing fatigue, anxiety, pain. And it's the brain's alarm system basically stuck in the on position. It's stuck in the on position and uh, you're trapped. You can't, you can't get out of it. Um, and so the idea is you're trying, to, you're trying to shift the brain out of that. Um, because again, because your brain is neuroplastic, you can retrain it. You can teach it to have a different response. And that was the idea. Um, and the brain works in part on patterns of association. So, um, you know, if you, whenever you experience any kind of incoming stimuli, your brain is going to your limbic system, which is the part of which is the emotional brain, um, will, um, interpret that stimuli as either that stimulus as either you know safe or unsafe, pleasant or unpleasant, and then sort of run an, a corresponding automatic program to help you maintain homeostasis. Um, and it learns over time, you know what's safe and what isn't. And so there's a pattern of association there where if I experience stimulus X, you know program Y runs. You know, and I, the example I used in my recovery story on my website that you, that you read was if one of your parents, you know, wore a certain cologne or something like that, um, and you had a lot of happy memories with that parent, if you smell that 20 years later, it's going to jog your memory and you might actually experience those same emotions you did as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, and so the idea is you need to change associations. You need to, you need to change the way your brain responds to these kinds of stimuli. So you, you trigger yourself with something, you know, for me at the time, it was really just standing for more than five or 10 minutes. Um, and then I would start to experience symptoms. 
And then I would go into the script, I would go into this visualization, and I would try and change the association to try and, and generate positive emotion so that eventually the association shifts for your brain. Um, and it was really, really difficult. Um, and it took me about six months, but after six months, um, I was physically um, almost completely better. I, I could go, I could weightlift. I could go from, I went from bedridden to, to you know, doing 30 pound dumbbells. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt really good. Um, I was really developing those, um, I guess you could call them the, those pathways of joy and happiness and confidence and things like that. Had it been a long time since you had experienced those things regularly? Yeah, yeah it, it had been quite a while. Um, and it took me longer to get over the emotional symptoms. I still had a lot of anxiety and I still had some agoraphobia because when I first started, when I first started to become ill, I had had some uh, frightening experiences where I had sort of just collapsed in public. And so I had some anxiety about going out in public. Um, and it took me a much longer time to get over that. And I actually worked with a therapist to, to get over that. And so that took me another almost a year to, to get over that. Mm -hmm. um, but by that point, and that would have been, that would have been summer of 2017. Um, I got back to work. So I, I got a full-time job again. And I was living a pretty much a basically normal life. I was working, going to parties. I was dating again. Um, life was really good. But there was something there was something that was missing. There was something that was missing because I still had a very low stress tolerance. I had to basically uh, practice a lot of different self-soothing strategies like throughout the day just to maintain balance, just to maintain balance. Um, and I had to really be careful about doing too much or doing certain things because it could, it could not set me back completely, but it could cause a little bit of a flare-up with my symptoms. Right. And so I knew like something is missing. There's, there's more to my recovery than this, but at the time I didn't know what that was. And so I was just trudging along. And in the summer of 2018, um, I went to a, an appointment with a chiropractor who also is a, a good friend of mine. And he told me, hey, I just met this inventor and he has this really cool device. And uh, I think it's right up your alley. I think you're gonna be really interested in it. And I was like, okay. So we ended up going out to the inventor's ranch and the inventor, in interestingly enough, lived like five minutes outside of the town that I live in. Mm -hmm. And just to give you, just to give you an idea of how funny that is I live in a very small town in Kansas I live in a very small town um, I think there's like 5,000 people in the whole county um, so I went out to this guy's ranch and I walk in and he's got this uh, very large box basically 
with these sort of psychedelic multicolored lights and um, speakers. And the guy um, doesn't look, he doesn't look like your like genius scientist. He looks like a pretty average, he just looks like an average dude. Right. Um, and, uh, but I go in and I start talking to him and he starts telling me some stories about this, this device. And I'm just getting more and more fascinated. And I had, I just had a gut feeling about the whole thing. Um, Do you think any as, of that was coincidence that the guy lives whatever five minutes or five miles from you or wherever it is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was really odd. It was really weird. Um, and he had recently moved back uh, to Kansas. He'd been, he'd been living um, in Arizona for a long time. Right. Uh, he's, he is originally from Kansas and he had moved back to retire and um yeah, he had just happened to move right outside my town and meet my, my friend as a chiropractor. Uh, but I just had a, a gut feeling um, that this is really important and I should pursue this. Um, and it was before I'd seen any of the evidence. It was before I'd seen anything about it. It's before I even tried the machine. Mm-hmm. I was just like, there's something about this that's right. And interestingly enough, um, this would have been in late July, no, early August when I met him. And in July, I remember um, having having this feeling, and I, I don't want to call it a premonition in the sense that like there was a vision, but there was just a feeling of like something really cool and really important um, is about to happen. And I just had that feeling. How did feeling. you start noticing that feeling? How did I start noticing it? Yeah, like how did it... Uh... I mean, what, what, what was the experience of the feeling? Was it like something in your mind or you felt like your body was lighter or, um, um, or indescribable? Well, no, it's not indescribable. There was just um, a surge of positive emotion that I could feel through my whole body. Mm-hmm. And this sense, and it wasn't like, just this sense that like, um, I was about to, something that I'd been searching for for a long time was about to come to me. Mm -hmm. That was the sense. And I remember thinking that at the time, like, um, I'm about some, some, some dream that I've had that I can't even fully describe is about to be fulfilled. And that was what I remember thinking. Mm -hmm. And there was a really amazing energy um, that I could feel um, in the months, in the couple months leading up to it. And I'd never felt like that before. And so when I came across this, I felt that again, I felt that same, just like in, intuition, like this is something that I, I am supposed to pursue. Um, and then I ended up trying the device and I did, I did a few sessions and I didn't really feel very much. Um, so to I, describe I, this a little bit, it, I mean, from what I've seen, it almost looks like a coffin <laughs> that you yeah, got. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people describe it that way. Yeah, with lights and, um, I mean, how would you describe it? Um, I I generally call it a chamber because it's okay. it's a little less threatening than coffin. I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I've had people call it uh, the torture pod, sort of jokingly, <laughs> uh, but I generally call it a chamber or a box. Like just among friends, I just. I call it the box, mm-hmm. um, but it's, 
imagine a it's about like nine by five and um you know think of a box but then think of um like bowed sides so the sides are are bowed so it's not it's not a rectangle it's straight and then curved and then straight um and it has these big heavy doors that swing out and that shut and you lay on basically a foam pad and then underneath the foam pad are speakers and there are speakers that run along your spine and then there are speakers on the sides and um, then there's above you there's a light fixture and it's basically it's it's an inset and there's um there's uh an eight-sided mirror going around and then one piece at the at the, at the top mm -hmm. and and then in in the center of that is a is a multicolored bulb and you lay under that so you lay down and right above you is this light um, there are also fixtures all around the sides so the whole place is illuminated but there's one right above that shines right into your eyes um, and then you lay down and and the music starts and you can feel the vibrations through your whole body um, it's a surround sound experience what kind of music um, it has to be it, it could be music of different genres so I've, I play music of, of many different genres in there but it has to be slow tempo Mm-hmm. And you want music that has um, a good bit of variety in uh, pitch, in frequency, and in the type of instrument used. Um, so it can be a lot of different things. Um, but a lot of it is more like ambient, new age um, music. Also, some of it incorporates piano, some of it incorporates violin or guitar, things like that. Um, but most of the music is more what I would describe as, as new age. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I tried a few sessions in there and I didn't really notice anything at first. Um, I felt like it was a little bit boring. Um, and I actually felt sick afterwards for a while. Um, but then I, I came back in about three weeks later for another round. And I remember it would have been my sixth session. I came out and I was so relaxed. I felt like I was high. I mean, genuinely, like I walked out. And I, I drove home and I, I lay down on my couch and I think I just stared at the ceiling for a long time, just in this very pleasant sort of daze. And uh, I remember my roommate walking in and looking at me like, all right. <laughs> and, uh, and then I remember like eating dinner that night and just being like totally immersed in the experience of eating. Um, no desire to read a book or, or look at my phone or watch a movie or anything. Um, and I, f I woke up the next morning and I felt pretty normal. I felt pretty much back to my normal self. And I was like, okay, that, that was cool. But it was actually the second day after that, I woke up and I felt the most indescribable sense of peace I've ever felt in my life. Um, there was a lightness and a quietness to, to my whole body. Like, just this sense of like everything has come to rest. Everything is at rest. There's no turmoil. There's no frenetic movement. Everything is at rest. And I walked outside and it was this beautiful September morning 
And I just felt uh, this incredible sense of connection to everything around me. And this mild euphoria, not like, you know, the, the euphoria that you experience, um, you know, with like a drug-induced high or, or caffeine or something like that, just uh, a very peaceful euphoria. And uh, I, that lasted for like 10 days. Wow. And that's when I thought to myself, okay, I definitely have to pursue this. There's something going on here. I don't know what it is. I have no idea how this works, but there's something going on here mm -hmm. that uh, is really powerful. And so I uh, ended up uh, setting up a center here. I ended up buying a machine. I trained with the inventor for a while. Um, and I raised money at the time. And at the time, I was running a totally different business. I was running a... Uh, 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 online retail business where my partner and I were, were importing products from China. We would actually design products, um, have them manufactured in China, and then we would import them into the U.S. and sell them online. And that was my full-time job at the time. Um, but I had just made a very bad business decision. Didn't kill the company. The company was fine. But I had to stop taking a salary out of the business. Mm -hmm because we basically overcommitted ourselves. Uh, we overcommitted our capital. And we didn't have anything left over. Um, and so I had no income. And uh, I thought, okay, I need, to, I, need to, I need to run my current business, you know, my retail business. And I, but I also want to start this business. And I don't see how I can do that um, I don't see how I can do both of those things and, and have a third job. Right. So I was like, well, you know what? This feels right. I feel like I am on the precipice of my mission in life. Genuinely feel like that. And so I'm just going to move forward and see what happens and just see if I can find creative ways to pay the bills. And so I did that and I was, I was basically completely unemployed for an entire year, um, but I managed to pay the bills. And, and my roommate, I don't know how happy my roommate was with me because there was always that uncertainty of like, I might not be able to pay rent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and he actually told me, he's like, why don't, you, why don't you just like move to Kansas City, which isn't that far from here, and uh, you know, get, a, get a job, you know, like some corporate job doing marketing. Because I've, I've done marketing in the past for companies. And, and uh, I was like, because I just feel like if I did, if I do that, I will, like, I, I'd rather shoot myself. Like, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I, like, I actually physically, I don't think I can physically do that. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think I can physically do that. Um, so I, I just continued building the business. And it took a while. There were a lot of problems, um, which I'll, I'll go into in a minute. But by July of 2019, um, I had everything set up how, how did this start out did like you just had one of these um uh, uh i guess machine uh, what do you call it um, what do you call um, it the, the technical the the official name is energy genesis okay energy yeah. genesis so you just had one of these or you had multiple of these and you rented like a, a uh uh retail location for them or 
how, how I bought one of them. I bought one of them. And then I actually, I found a retail location in, in the town I live in. Um, but it was just like a concrete pad. It was not built out. Mm -hmm. So I built this office that I'm in now. Um, and that should have been, that should have been like a two month job at most. Cause it's not a huge space turned into a six month job. Um, but yeah, I built it out and, uh, put a machine in one of the rooms and just started taking clients. Mm -hmm. Um, but the whole process of doing that was really difficult because what happened when I started doing the machine, when I started doing the sessions, you know, at first I felt really good. I felt really good. Um, it's very confident. And then I started to feel really bad again. Um, I started to have a recurrence of my old symptoms. And I thought it was related to some things that I was doing. I thought, well, maybe I'm just stressed again. And, you know, I need to go back to uh, the old system that I, that I had done originally. Um, so I started doing that and it helped a little bit. It helped me get through it first. Um, and I continued to do sessions as well because the sessions were so relaxing. It got to the point where the more you do it, the better, the more effective it is. Right. Your, your body learns to get into that state. And so I would get in there and be in this just deep, deep meditative state um, that was, that felt very, um, very pleasant. Um, but I would come out and I would feel worse. I would feel worse and worse and worse. Um, and then at some point, the, the stuff that I had been doing originally, you know, way back to get better, stopped working. So none of my coping mechanisms worked anymore. Um, and it was like, um, and I just, I remember describing this to someone at the time. I said, it's like with my old technique, I could, I could put a lid on the symptoms. I could, I could put them back in the jar, but it's like, ever since I've done this machine, the lid is open and I can't, I can't put it back on. Mm -hmm. And so I just lived with it for like five, six months. And there were times when I couldn't get out of bed. Again, I was like, there was a two week period where I was basically back to where I was in the depths of my illness. Wow. And uh, it was, it was hard because I, you know, I couldn't be down here at the office to like supervise the work and make sure things were getting done. So had some issues as a result of that. Um, and I had to kind of drag myself along to, you know, meetings with people, um, you know, to get things set up. And I was never sure if I was going to make it, but I did. I just pushed through and I got it done. Um, but I didn't really know what was going on. And I remember talking to the inventor and I was like, I know that what's going on in this machine is good for me. I know in my gut that it's good for me, but my symptoms are getting worse and worse and worse. And I don't understand why that is. And I was like, I need you to explain this to me. What am I doing wrong? What's going on here? And he really couldn't explain it to me. He couldn't explain it to me. He just kept saying to me, you gotta let go. You gotta let go. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. Um, but I don't know what that means. And uh, he'd be like, you just gotta let that shit go, man. And I was like, all right, that's not helpful at all. 
but <laughs> and uh, but I knew that what he said was true. I knew that there was something true to what he was saying, but I didn't know what it was, and I didn't know, uh, you know, I didn't know how to implement it. You know, there wasn't there was he didn't he didn't give me like a manual. This is how to let go. And so, um, eventually, I just started meditating on the phrase letting go like what does that mean mm-hmm. and I, was, I, I thought to myself okay when I when I say let go to myself what what is the immediate effect that that has in my body like how does it feel in my body just to say those words you know what's like the instinctive response that I have to hearing those words and so I, I kind of meditate on that for a while and I started to feel like okay well letting go is like there's a looseness to it like my muscles loosen up a little bit, um, you know, my, my chest loosens up, my breathing is um, more fluid. There's, there's, you know, fluidity, looseness, I can feel that in my muscles. Um, and I was able to cultivate it a little bit just by kind of meditating on that. Mm-hmm. And just sort of like kinesthetically, like feeling my way into it. And it helped a little bit. But are you, are you doing this when you're inside the, um, the energy genesis? No, no, I was doing this just day to day because the energy genesis sort of does that to you automatically. Okay. It's kind of like, a, like an induced meditation almost. Mm-hmm. So you're, you, you loosen up very quickly in there, most people. Have um, you ever done a, uh, um, a sensory deprivation tank? Uh, I hadn't at the time, but I did actually just a few months ago. What was your experience with that? Was it, uh, it almost seems like it would be the opposite experience than um, the energy genesis. Just in that, like, the, you have sound and light and everything like that in, um, in that, but the uh, sensory deprivation tank, all that's taken away. Right. Um, it's, a similar experience in a number of ways because in, you know, in the sensory deprivation tank, you do get into kind of that meditative state. Mm -hmm. At least if you do it enough, the first time I did it, I, I didn't really get that. But the second time I did, right. Uh, Same same with me. You know, you're, you're removing all of that external stimuli and you're just, you're going inward and it's sort of, it's just all of the, all of the right conditions are there, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for a really good meditation, basically. Um, Energy Genesis is a little bit different. Um, in that it's trying to get you to a similar state, but it's a, it's a totally different way of, of getting you there. And I'll go into this, the, the explanation behind that uh, in a little bit. Um, but uh, when I, uh, so anyway, to go back to, to what I was saying about letting go, I, I kind of got a little bit of that just, sort of feeling my way through the process, but not much. And, you know, it's one thing to, to feel that in the, the machine. It's another to learn how to actually consciously, how to make that just your way of being um, throughout your day. And I hadn't learned that. Um, and then one day I, I felt it on a really powerful level. I felt like, okay, I've really, I'm, I'm able to do this now. Um, and right around that time, 
I actually found a book called Letting Go. You've probably, you've probably read David Hawkins. No, I haven't. So, so he wrote a book, he wrote a number of books, but one of them is Letting Go, um, The Pathway of Surrender. And I came across that book right around this time when I was starting to have a little, just a little bit of success with Letting Go, but I was still not quite sure of it. And I actually came across it because, because of Pat Stedman. I was, uh, I was on Twitter and I saw Pat Stedman tweet and he tweeted about uh, some book uh, called Levels of Energy or something like that. It was about levels of energy. And I clicked on it and it was on Amazon and I went to Amazon and I looked at the synopsis and I was like, oh, that's interesting. It didn't really resonate for me at the time, but I was like, oh, that's interesting. But then in the suggested, like customers who bought this item also bought this book, I saw Letting Go. And I was like, oh, well, that's what I've been trying to figure out for like six months. It's kind of so, like a sign right in the face, right? Yeah. I was like, that's what I've been trying to figure out for six months. So I clicked on that and I downloaded the book right away and I started reading it and I read like half the book in one sitting. And as I'm reading the book, I'm just like automatically starting to put it into practice and I'm feeling symptoms in real time dissipate like dramatically dissipate in real time as I'm reading the book. Mm -hmm. um, and this was like a Saturday afternoon. Uh, actually, it was August 10th. I remember that because I had to go to a friend's wedding and I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to go because I still felt really bad. Um, and this was like a few hours before I had to go to the wedding. I'm reading this book and things are just clicking and I'm and like symptoms are just dissipating. And I was like, you know what, I can go to the wedding. And I went to the wedding and I was fine. And I'm like putting it into practice at the wedding. And it was amazing. It was incredible. The book was, was absolutely life altering. Do you still practice any of the methods that you picked up on in, the, in that book? Yeah. Yeah. All the time. All the time. I, I don't need to do it as consciously as I used to. So it's not like I think about doing it all the time. Um, but I, I still do it if I run into any, anything where I feel, if I feel like I'm resisting something, mm -hmm. I, I kind of consciously go into it. What, uh, can you describe one of the practices or methods or something that you do that, that uh, works for you? Yeah, so, so what I do when I'm, let's say I'm going through, I'm experiencing some sort of, I don't know, anxiety, let's say. Um, the first thing that I do is, you know, I try to become aware of what's going through my mind at the time. Like, what am I, what am I thinking? Um, what am I feeling? What am I feeling emotionally? What am I feeling in my body? Um, because awareness is the first step. If you're not aware of what's going on, you can't let go of it. You have to be aware of it. And thankfully, the, the process that I had, had done when I was really sick was like a crash course in mindfulness. It was like, not a crash course, it was like a master class in mindfulness. So I was already really good at doing that. And so, you know, I'll, I'll drop in and I'll just do a, a check-in, like, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? Um, and then I'll, I'll try and find areas of resistance in my body because uh, emotions are embodied. 
emotions are, are a physical, a very physical experience. And not a lot of people realize that, but they are a very physical experience and you can feel where they are in your body. And so I'll, I'll allow that feeling, let's say of tension, like in my chest or um, my jaw or something like that. I'll allow that to take up all of my awareness, I'll allow it to fill my awareness. Um, and I'll just surrender to it. I'll open up to it. And it's, it's kind of hard to describe how you do that. Um, there are, I found that, that there are different ways to explain it to people and different people will click with different, different ways of explaining it. Um, but it's almost like every explanation is really just a metaphor. I can't really tell you exactly like this is what you're doing. Um, you're just, you're just letting go of all of your resistance to it. You're just allowing yourself to experience that feeling completely. You're allowing it to take up your whole awareness. You're, for me, it feels like I'm allowing it to move through my body because I can actually feel it move through my body um, as, I, as I let go. Um, and then eventually it dissipates. And as, as it moves through your body, a lot of times thoughts will come up spontaneously, thoughts that are related to the emotion because emotions, emotions are information. Emotions are information. And if you, if you allow yourself to feel them, if you allow them to move through you, um, that's how you extract the information. They'll, they'll release the information to you. Um, and so I've had, I've had, when I first started doing it, um, sometimes I would come home from work and I would, I would literally just lay in bed and I would let go. I would just focus on every pain, every negative emotion, everything for like two hours. And uh, um, I would feel really good after those sessions. They were really intense at first. Um, and I remember one time I was going through a hell of, a hell of an emotional experience. And this thought just popped into my head. Um, and the thought was, you don't deserve to exist. Wow. And I remember being taken aback by that thought because I would never have imagined that that thought existed in my, in my, in my unconscious. I would never have imagined that. Um, you know, if you had asked me what I thought of that statement consciously, just, you know, walking around during the day, I'd be like, that's a ridiculous idea. Of course I don't think that. But it was, was in there. That thought was, was in there somehow. Um, and I remember that was a really powerful experience because I felt like I released, I released that thought from my mind. And um, so that's kind of the process that I go through. I've, I've broken it down for people. I, I talk to a lot of my clients about it and I've broken it down into a three-step process. Um, I had a hard time explaining it to people when I started out because when something becomes really intuitive to you, it's hard to break it down into something that you can explain rationally to them that you can do in a step-by-step -step, like sequential logical manner. Right. It, it, uh, it becomes hard to teach it. Yeah. It's, it's hard to teach something that you've internalized really deeply. Mm -hmm. um, and so it took me a while, but you know, the first thing I realized was most people aren't even aware 
of their internal state at all. They're not aware of how they feel physically. They're not aware. They've never observed the thoughts that go through their minds all the time. They've never done that. Um, and so when you say, oh, you've just got to feel it, you've just got to let it, you've just got to let it go. Um, they have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, there's no context for that type of uh, yeah. experience. Yeah. But typically what I do is I'll, I'll have them start to practice mindfulness. And then the, the second step is reframing. Um, and reframing is basically where you, you know, you, you've gotten to the point where you can, you've, you know what's going on with you. You know how you feel. You can feel the tension. You know how uncomfortable all of that is. Um, and you know how to take yourself out of like that unconscious flow and become conscious of it. And then you have to reframe it as, um, you know, most people feel like a victim of their emotions. They feel like a victim of their emotions. They feel like a victim of, of their symptoms, their pain, whatever they're experiencing. Um, and they think that the only way they can deal with it is to resist it, to run away from it, to, um, you know, to, to distract them. Yeah. Yeah. In some way, uh, they think that that's the only way they can deal with it. And so you have to, you have to teach them a new way of seeing that. You have to teach them a new way, a reframe. And the reframe is essentially, you know, these are actually, uh, you know, emotions are messengers. Um, you have to allow yourself to feel them in order to process them. And um, if you allow yourself to do that, then those things will, will dissipate. Those feelings will dissipate. Um, you'll learn a lot about yourself. You'll get in touch with, with your true self. Um, and you'll, you'll attain a higher level of well-being. Um, and that's essentially the reframe. And it's, I, I phrase it differently for different people depending on what they're going through. Um, but, you know, the second step is the reframe. And then the third step is, okay, now you have to feel it. Now you, you know what you're feeling. You know why it's important to feel it. And now you have to feel it. Um, and that's typically kind of the process I go through with people. Mm -hmm. And this is a process you've started with from this book? Yeah. Yeah. Because in the Letting Go book, and I love it, it's, it's phenomenal. But, but um, I've, I have given it to people and they've been like, that sounds great, but I still don't really know how to do it. And that was when I realized, oh, this person uh, doesn't even know what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. doesn't even, they don't even know what's going on with them. Um, so, uh, to get back to, to where I was, you know, two years ago, um, I, I just practiced letting go for several months, like, and I, I would actually go out of my way to trigger myself with things that I knew would cause symptoms. And then I would just practice letting go. And over time, it got to the point where I was, um, just at peace almost all the time. Like, and I, I got to a point where I had, and at this point I, I have such a deep sense of peace. Like there's just a part of me that it feels like nothing ever touches. You know, I, obviously I have emotions and I, I have ups and downs, but it's like, there's, you know, the ups and downs are up here and then there's something here that is just always stable. It just does not move. Mm -hmm. um, 
And uh, so it's, it's a good place to be in. It's a good place to be in, but it, it took a long time to get there and to figure it out. And one of the, one of the things that was really crucial for me to learn that I think is very different from, the, from what most people think um, is, you know, when I started the, the retraining process when I was really sick, um, the message of that process was really empowering. It was, you know, you're not a victim of your symptoms. You're not a victim of your emotions. You can change the way that you feel. You can actually change the way that your body works just by changing the way that you think and feel about things. And that's, that's a really empowering message. Um, it's, let me turn on a light because it's really dark in here. Sure. Um, you know, it's a really empowering message um, and it can be really helpful. Um, but what I took away from that and what I think most people take away from that is um, I can, I should never, I shouldn't feel bad. Like feeling bad, there's, there, that's like a malfunction. There's something wrong with you if you feel bad. Um, and I can do essentially anything I want to do. Um, just, just if I, if I just put my mind to it, I can do anything I want to do. I can make myself feel any way I want to feel. Um, it's almost like this, uh, this sort of like Gnostic, like, you know, um, I can, you know, have like ultimate control over my entire being and I can, I can do whatever I want. And ultimately, as I discovered, that's actually not true. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. And um, you shouldn't be using that framework. You shouldn't be using the, the, very, the very real, you know, the reality of neuroplasticity and things like that to try and force yourself to think or feel a certain way. Um, but that's what I took from it. And that's... Um, I think a lot of psychologists have uh, an attitude like that, a, a philosophy like that, where it's like, well, if you just, you know, the way that you feel is irrational. And so you need to train yourself to feel the right way. You know, you need to train yourself to, to feel the right way. And they, they basically get stuck at reframing. You know, reframing, I think, is, a, is an important step, but it's an intermediate step. Right. They, that if you just reframe it, um, you can just change the way that you feel. When did you realize that that wasn't true? I realized that that wasn't true when it stopped working for me. I, re I remember when, when I was, uh, you know, in that second relapse, um, I was trying to, to put those, uh, that philosophy into practice again, and it didn't work and it was making it worse. And I remember one day I had been fighting all day long with my emotions and I was like, and I, I had resolved that day. I was like, I am going to beat these things into submission. I am going to win this. I'm going to feel the way I want to feel. I'm going to do what I'm going to think the way I want to think. And uh, like, I almost had a nervous breakdown. Like I just, I came home and I just like, 
like laid in bed and just like, and just cried because it was so painful. I couldn't, I was so exhausted and so just beaten up from trying to, to get away from this stuff, from trying to, to force, you know, I was basically trying to, I was trying to use my, my conscious mind to beat my unconscious mind into submission and it doesn't work. And I realized at that point, I was like, okay, I give up. Like this doesn't, this doesn't work. It does not work. And I didn't know what the answer was yet, but I knew that what I'd been trying to do did not work. And when I discovered letting go, I realized I can't, so first of all, I have, emotions are not just these sort of random, emotions are not just random combinations of chemicals that have no significance, have, that, that have no intrinsic significance. That's not what an emotion is. Right. An emotion is actually meaningful. Um, it's actually information from your unconscious mind about yourself, about the world around you. And um, there is, an, there is a, a design to the way that you as a human being work. And you have to work with that design. You can't just decide, well, I'm going to work this way. I'm going to make my, myself work this way. You can't do that. You actually have to surrender to your body's own innate design. And your body actually is designed to, to, uh, to grow and develop and heal on its own. Like there's actually a program in there that's designed to do that. And you have to work with that program. You have to work with that innate drive. And the primary way you do that is by surrendering to your experience. You have to surrender to your experience. Um, you have to surrender to everything you're feeling. And when you do that, you, you, you release those energetic blockages and you allow that free flow of energy, um, which seeks wholeness. I, I always thought that was a great, uh, a great concept of Jung's was that you, you, the psyche seeks wholeness, like innately, it seeks wholeness. Mm -hmm. you, don't have to, you don't have to teach yourself to seek wholeness or to seek health. Um, you just have to get in touch with the part of yourself that already does that. Right. And that was an amazing paradigm shift for me. Um, because it's, it's not the way that we think about health. It's not the way that we think about health. And, and as, I've, as I have gone through that process, and as I've worked with a lot of different clients, and I've seen the journeys that my clients go through, I've come to the conclusion that, um, well, I guess I haven't come to the conclusion. I knew already, I just didn't know all the details that, you know, Western modern medicine um, is incomplete. It has an incomplete understanding of, of human nature. It has an incomplete understanding of, of what a human being is and how human beings work. You know, it, it's really good at surgery, at, you know, eradicating infectious diseases. Um, it's really good at symptom management in a lot of cases. But it, it doesn't try to work in most cases. And that's changing now, slowly. But it doesn't try to work with, with the innate drive of the body to heal. 
and it has an incomplete understanding of human nature. It, it almost views the body as, you know, um, like a machine, like a car. You know, you have to, you know, replace a defective part here, you know, top off the oil there. Um, you know, a, a car doesn't heal itself. A car doesn't fix itself. A car doesn't uh, pursue its own perfection. You have to do that. And that's how modern science has tended, has tended to think of the body. Um, and that's something that really has to change. And as I started to put all this together, um, I started to connect this concept of that innate healing drive, you know, cause I started, I started reading some of Jung. I started getting into Jung, um, and I started getting into some, uh, ancient spirituality. I was looking into Hin Hinduism and Buddhism and things like that, which I've been familiar with in the past, but I was looking at them primarily, um, uh, primarily from the standpoint of health and how the body works. Um, and I also started, started bringing it back to, um, Aristotelian and scholastic philosophy. Um, because I, I was, um, I'm, I'm Catholic and I was, I was raised Catholic and I, uh, in high school, I had some philosophy and the philosophy that you learn as a Catholic is primarily scholastic. It's Thomas Aquinas, and that's heavily based on Aristotle, um, it's heavily based on the Greeks, but especially Aristotle, because Aquinas is really sort of a synthesizer of Aristotle and Christianity. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Aristotle says is that all, all beings um, pursue the, their own perfection. They pursue the complete perfection of their own being by nature. Um, and that is essentially you know, at a broad level, what Jung is saying when he says the psyche seeks wholeness and what a lot of naturopathic physicians talk about when they talk about the inner physician. And, um, you know, so I started connecting those things and I'm, I'm working right now on kind of the broad outlines of like a complete theory of what constitutes health. And it's going to take a few years, I imagine, of, of working that out and research uh, you know, getting all the details worked out, but I'm working on that. And I think that's what medicine needs going into the rest of the 21st century is a complete theory about what is a human being and what constitutes health for a human being. Mm -hmm. Kind of solving that equation. The, yeah. um, what, what was, uh, you said you looked into like Hindu philosophy. What was the um, like the tenet there that that kind of aligned with um, the Aristotelian and uh, Jung? Okay, so that's that's a, a really good question. Um, so the first thing I looked into was obviously the the chakras, the concept of, of the chakras, um, and I wasn't I wasn't quite sure what to make of that. Um, it seemed intuitively correct to me. It seemed to jive with uh, experience, but I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. Um, but the thing that really, uh, that I, I really became interested in was Kundalini. And I actually recently um, got back into 
into studying that because of uh, uh, Kevin McKay on Twitter. And uh, I actually have a, a, a posture consultation with him tomorrow. Yeah. So after I, I posted my, uh, my story on Twitter like a month or so ago, Paul Publisher said, hey, this sounds like you had Kundalini syndrome. Uh, you should talk to Kevin McKay. And I had actually been told that I had Kundalini syndrome uh, like two years ago by my what, therapist. What is that? Uh, well, I couldn't tell you exactly what it is, but I can tell you, I can describe what is supposed to happen with Kundalini. So the idea behind Kundalini is, it is it's a Hindu idea. Um, and essentially, there's this idea that there's this energy that's coiled at the base of the spine. And um, as, you, as you go through a period of spiritual development, um, you can release this energy and it, and it moves up your spine. And if, you, if it happens and you don't know what it is, you're unprepared for it, it can make you very ill because you don't know what's happening. You don't know how to channel the energy. You don't know how to work with the process. And so you basically end up like resisting the energy and uh, it can lead to um, really intense like psychosomatic symptoms like what I had or like what Kevin had. I don't know if Kevin's told you his story. No. Um, uh, or in some cases, uh, psychosis. There's, there's Kundalini psychosis. And I remember reading about that when my therapist had brought it up a couple of years ago and I, I thought, okay, that's interesting. Maybe, you know, maybe that's what's happening, but I, it didn't really resonate with me and I couldn't, I, I couldn't really make sense of it. I was like, okay, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not, but I don't really, I don't really know what's going on here. So then I, I talked to Kevin after Paul told me to get in touch with him. And uh, we, we had an interesting conversation about it. And I, Kevin told me, he's like, I don't know what it is but I know that it's real and I've experienced it. And essentially you have to kind of surrender to that energy. You have to learn how to let it flow through your body. And I know he teaches some sort of psychophysical technique where, you know, you, you align your posture and I don't know what the psychological aspect of it is. Um, but I thought that was really interesting because, um, and there's a, there's a book that I've been reading on and off for a year now. Um, called the courage to be afraid, and it's by a uh, it's by a Dominican priest. I think it was written in the eighties, um, and it's all, unfortunately it's only in French, so you can't just go buy it on Amazon. Um, I have a I have a private translation from a, a priest that I know who translated it, um, but in the book he says that all all, all beings, all creatures. Are, are thrown into existence in a state of explosive offering of self to God. And it's like this, he, he uses the word, this ecstatic um, offering of self. And um, if, if you're cut off from your true nature, if you don't know what your true purpose is um, and you're cut off from this essential aspect of your nature, um, you experience, you can experience this in a very negative way. You can experience that in a very negative way. 
And the, the ultimate goal of that process is, is mystical union with God. And he describes the, the spiritual, the process of spiritual growth is like a, is a gradual invasion by God of the soul. So God actually gradually invades the soul. And ultimately when you get to mystical union, you're so closely united with God that you almost seem to be God and you are God by participation. Um, you're not, it doesn't destroy your individuality. You, you still are who you are, but you're so closely united that um, you, you participate in a real way in God's nature and powers. Um, but if you, uh, if you resist that process, if you don't really understand what's going on and you resist that process, um, you'll end up with anxiety, depression, physical problems, and he even says psychosis. Psychosis can, can result. And I thought that was really interesting because I compared that to Kundalini and how that's described and the symptoms that you experience if you're not ready for the process, if you're not ready for it. And so I'm, I'm still not sure exactly what Kundalini is. You know, what is that energy? What is that? What is that? What is being described in that experience? I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but the parallels between that description and the description of that I found in The Courage to be Afraid and the description of the process that St. John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila describe, there are so many uncanny parallels um, that I'm inclined to think that that experience is in most cases probably um, the result of an unexpected spiritual awakening and um, an inability to, to, to work with the process. Do you think that that's what you experienced? Uh, you know, Kevin thinks, Kevin McKay thinks that's what I experienced. Um, I think that is probably what I experienced. Mm -hmm. I, I still am not 100% certain, but I think that's probably what I experienced. The end result, I think, was the same, which was that I, I was spiritually transformed by it. Because before I, uh, before I had that experience, um, I was in a really, really uh, difficult place spiritually. Um, you know, I was I was raised in a very uh, a very strict traditional Catholic home. Um, my, both my parents are essentially converts, and um, I went to a very uh, strict traditional Catholic school. Um, and there were a lot of good things about that, but there was a lack of, on the part of a lot of, a lot of people in my life, there was a lack of psychological savvy. Okay. There was a lack, there was just a, a general ignorance about how the human psyche worked. Mm -hmm. And, um, that caused, causes a lot of issues. And so I ended up. Um, questioning my faith all through high school. And then by the end of high school, I was probably, I was like, you know what? I can't really prove this to myself rationally. Um, I can't really prove, you know, God's existence. Um, I feel like there's something here, but I, I just can't prove it rationally. Um, 
And it was very, it was really disturbing to me because I felt like I had, you know, there's supposed to be a manual to life and I hadn't gotten it, mm -hmm. sort of how I felt. And I had some, I had a lot of anger and angst as most 18 year olds do. And so when I graduated high school, I was like, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm not gonna go to college. Um, I'm not gonna do any of that, at least not right away. I'm gonna go out and I'm just going to explore. I'm just going to try everything and see what resonates. Because I thought to myself, I can't, I, I'm at the point where I feel like I can't reason my way through this. So, but there must be truth out there. So maybe if I just try enough stuff, um, I'll find something that, I, that I'll just know is, is true. And, uh, and so I went out and just tried a lot of different things. And um, um, where did that get uh, you? Um, I ended up in a lot of, more pain than when I started. Okay. You know, I, I ended up in more pain than when I started. Um, you know, at first it was kind of exhilarating. You know, you, you know, I moved out and I, I, you know, uh, did everything. The first thing I did was like, well, I'm going to do everything that I was told not to do. Everything that I've ever been told not to do. I'm just going to go and do it because, you know, I'm just going to try it and see. And so when I did everything I was told not to do, um, and, um, I actually ended up, and this is, this is partly what I think might have caused my illness. Um, I ended up for, for a period of time uh, experimenting with MDMA, um, which for those who don't know, it's, it's, that's the active ingredient in, uh, in ecstasy. Right. And um, I remember when I did it, I felt like it would unblock something in me. For a long time, I felt kind of like just cut off. Like there was something inside of me that was like just cut off from, from the rest of me. Like I, I felt disintegrated. I felt that very keenly. And I felt like there was a certain blunt, bluntness of emotion. And I felt that that was one of the reasons that I couldn't reason my way to the truth was because reason wasn't enough. Like there was, there was something else that was foundational there that I couldn't access. And I, uh, I was really angsty about it. And I, I started with some friends doing MDMA and I felt like when I would do that, it would unblock it. You know, you'd get that euphoria, you'd feel empathy and closeness with other people. I felt very disconnected from other people. Um, and I, I just had a hard time feeling closeness with people. And I was really upset about it. And I would feel connected. I'd feel connected to the people I was doing it with. I would feel connected to the universe as a whole, you know, that sort of cosmic unity. I would feel that. And um, uh, I felt like it unlocked part of my brain. Like I felt like it unlocked part of my, my own psyche that I couldn't access. Mm. Um, but I was also 19 and had horrible judgment and was doing it in a very stupid and uncontrolled way. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and I didn't really know what I was playing with. 
And I stopped doing it after a little while. And I got into a relationship with this girl, which is a terrible relationship, but that's another story. Um, but I started experiencing a very powerful emotion. And I had never experienced that kind of emotion before. I'd always felt like I was kind of disconnected from my own emotions. Do you think this is a result from the MDMA or from the relationship? Oh, feeling those powerful emotions. Um, it, was, it definitely happened after MDMA. Okay. Definitely after MDMA. And I felt very disconnected from my emotions prior to that. Okay. And um, uh, at first it was really pleasant because I would actually, I could get up in the morning and all of a sudden, you know, it was a beautiful morning and I would just feel really connected and I would feel this euphoria, um, this kind of mild euphoria. It was, it was really incredible. Um, it wasn't peace. Like I didn't feel peace. I still felt angsty but I was feeling this euphoria and I was feeling appreciation for, for beauty um, that I had never quite felt before. Um, and at first I thought, oh, that, this is fantastic. Um, but it quickly, uh, the highs also had lows. There were also lows. And eventually I got to the point where I was like riding this wave all day long really high, really low, really high, really low. And I felt like I was drowning in um, emotions I couldn't handle. Yeah. I was drowning in emotions I couldn't handle at all. And I thought, you know, am I becoming bipolar? I was like, well, I can't be bipolar because that's like episodes of mania and then episodes of depression. This is like, this is changing on like an hourly basis. So, mm -hmm. okay, that, that's not what's happening. And uh, I, it got progressively worse. And that's when I started having a lot of my symptoms. That's when a lot of my symptoms, like started having physical symptoms. Um, eventually I started having, you know, reactions to food, light, sound, music would trigger it. Music could trigger, you know, the highs and the lows. Um, and everything kind of started after that. And I, I suspect, especially after my conversation with Kevin, I suspect that, and I, I had suspected this before Kevin, but I suspected much more after I got some insight from Kevin. Um, I suspect that the MDMA unlocked some sort of energy or, or caused some sort of, it caused some sort of change that was beneficial because it, it reconnected me with, with something within myself and it allowed this free flow of energy. Um, but I, I wasn't ready for it and I didn't know what was going on. As I was about to say, um, I mean, MDMA research now has a lot to do with um, trauma, helping people deal with trauma. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, I mean, I don't know for sure, obviously, but um, it could be something to the effect that it um, maybe opened up that floodgate to um, to deal with the trauma, but you just didn't have the, uh, you weren't ready for, you didn't have the repertoire to uh, to kind of put that into action. So that, that may have been the emotional swings right there was um, like the opportunity to, to deal with it, but you just didn't have the toolkit to, dig down into what it meant. 
I mean, I don't know if that's exactly your experience, but it seems like that might be a plausible um, explanation of, or at least a factor in what was happening. Yeah, and I've, I've thought of that. Um, I've never been able to pin it down to like some sort of specific trauma. Um, okay. You know, I've never, I've never been able to pin it down to, you know, this thing happened and that was it. Um, which isn't to say that there isn't perhaps some, something back there that I don't remember. Um, but I've never been able to do that. I, I did have an issue where um, after I did this, I would get these periods of like absolute anguish, like black anguish, like um, like like the world is turning black, that kind of anguish. Um, really soul crushing. And I never knew where it came from. And as I practiced letting go, I started to release a lot of that. And I released quite a bit of it. I released most of it. But I still had some of it, um, even for a while after I started practicing that. And I went to a, another chiropractor who uh, practices, um, he does muscle testing and uh, um, he kind of incorporates like Chinese me medicine with muscle testing and chiropractic work and energy work. Um, he also does like tapping. So he, it's, it's a pretty cool, very unique practice. And uh, he did some testing on me and I didn't tell him anything about my, myself at all. He just said, you know, I'm really getting that you have an emotion. You have this emotion of anguish, like really, really horrible anguish. And I was like, yeah, I do feel that sometimes. And he's like, um, do you know what that's connected to? And I was like, I have no idea where that could possibly come from. And so he did some more, some more muscle testing. And he's like, oh, this emotion. He's like, this emotion is an, an inherited emotion. You inherited this emotion from your mother. And he's like, but I can help you release it. So he did some, some tapping and like he put my body in this particular position and then he did some tapping um, on like a, a meridian point. And I just started like laughing hysterically for no reason. It was kind of embarrassing. Um, and then afterwards though, I have, never, I have never experienced that emotion since. Never experienced it since then. Interesting. Um, as if it was released or do you believe that? As if it was, as if it was like completely released. I've never experienced it since. Um, so it's possible I might have some inherited, I do believe that there is inherited trauma. So it's possible I might have some inherited trauma from, you know, my mother or, or going back even further. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've wondered sometimes um, uh, my great grandparents uh, were Jews who came from Russia at the turn of the century and they actually left because of a pogrom and one of, uh, one of their sisters was killed in the pogrom. Um, and they actually fled. They walked all the way across Europe. And, you know, so I thought, well, maybe, maybe like that anguish somehow comes from that event, you know, maybe something like that. I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, because I don't know of anything, you know, in my, my parents' recent past that might have caused that. But it's interesting, you know, I, I don't know. All I know is he's like, that's an inherited emotion and I can release it. And I've never experienced it since. It's very cool. <laughs> so you've gotten to the point where you are, I mean, this has become your business is, is doing this now. 
kind of this journey led you to this point where um, you're helping other people, I guess, do the same thing. Um, how do you see good reception with it or a certain type of person that um, will come to you? Yeah, I do see good reception with it. Um, is there a certain type of person who comes to me? Well, the type of person who typically comes to me is someone who is who has an issue that they've been to every doctor under the sun for and haven't gotten much help. You know, a lot of people come in and they're, they're on a bunch of medications um, or, um, you know, they're doing some kind of ongoing therapy work, um, but it's just not cutting it. And so they come in and they're like, well, I want to try this. I'm like, okay. And I, I work with them. And um, I've, got, I've had people, multiple people get off medications. And I want to emphasize, I'm, I'm not a doctor, so I don't diagnose people. I don't treat them. Um, I don't prescribe things. Um, and I tend to work with, with their doctors. So they'll, I'll, I'll be in communication with them and let them know this is what we're doing. Um, but a lot of people will be able to get off medication. Their doctors will take them off the medication um, after doing a certain number of sessions. I just had a, a client who has been on insulin for 18 years for type two diabetes um, and is completely off insulin now. Um, and her blood sugar is normal. Um, I've had people get off heart medications. I had, a, I had a client, one of my very first clients, um, she uh, had a, she was born with a heart defect and a whole bunch of other issues. And had, was basically an invalid her whole life. Um, ton of surgeries, been through everything you could possibly think of, been, just been through a lot of traumatic health problems. And uh, after 12 sessions, um, she got off, she was able to, to stop taking some daily medications and um, she basically improved to the point where she, she went back to work, which was something she couldn't do before. And she also released a lot of emotional stuff. And one of the things that, that she experienced, as a lot of people do, is that emotional release. She, I remember she emailed me a couple of weeks after her first set, and she said, I am just crying all the time. She's like, I saw, I saw a rabbit in the yard the other day, and I just started crying. She's like, and I've never cried before. She's like, I have always been a strong person in my family. She's like, I've never let myself cry. I have always held it in. And she's like, and now I'm just like, it's just like a flood. And she's like, is this normal? Should I be going through this? And um, I said, yeah, it's perfectly normal. And I just kind of walked her through it. And um, she had a, a really amazing experience. But a lot of people will have that release. They'll have a brief intensification of symptoms, sometimes physical, but mostly emotional. And I'll kind of walk them through that process. And then you'll start to see improvement in, in physical symptoms. What do you think's happening there when that happens? Do you think it's a, like a, do you believe it to be like some type of spiritual awakening or, um, or just like a, a like the psychology changes in the person's mind or, or a aspect of each or um, do, do you have a deeper belief to, what, to what's transforming in these people and yourself? 
Yeah, so you know, I can't tell you precisely what is going on with people who who do this. Like I I I haven't done any scientific tests where we take where we're, we're monitoring all of their blood work, you know, aside from the blood work that I have from some, some doctors with, from, from clients who, who are working with doctors, you know, I don't have, I can't tell you exactly what's going on, but I can tell you what I believe based on what I've witnessed. Um, you know, the human body functions as a whole. And one of the, one of the issues that we have in medicine is that we, we tend to compartmentalize. We tend to focus on the body in pieces without reference to the greater whole. And so if you have high blood pressure, your doctor might prescribe you a medication to lower your blood pressure. He might also tell you to you know, change your diet and exercise more and manage your stress. Um, but mostly it's just like, here, take this medication, we'll eliminate this symptom. And, um, there's some consideration of, well, you know, stress is involved and diets involved and exercise is involved. Uh, but mostly they're focusing on one aspect, they're compartmentalizing. But the way that you really need to look at, at someone's health, if someone comes in and you're a doctor and you come in with high blood pressure, um, there should be a holistic evaluation of that person, not just you know, what's their blood work say? Um, not just what their, what's their diet, not just what's your exercise, but also um, what's your emotional state? What's your psychological state? Um, what, what do you do for a living and do you enjoy that? Um, are you in a relationship and what's that relationship like? Um, what's, your, what's your childhood? What was your childhood like? You know, what was your relationship with, with parents? That sort of thing. Um, what are your spiritual beliefs? Do you have any spiritual practices? Um, there needs to be a holistic evaluation because um, that blood pressure, that high blood pressure might not just be because you know, you're eating poorly. It might not just be because of poor exercise. Um, very likely it's a combination of a whole bunch of things and your spiritual state, your psychological state is a, can may be a huge and might be the primary contributing factor to that. And um, what I think is happening with the machine is you're getting into those deep meditative states and you're getting access to the unconscious mind. You get into those states and that's giving you the opportunity to bring things up out of the unconscious and process them. And um, if those things are contributing to your physical ill health, then as you process them, then that should improve. Then your, your physical health should improve. Um, so I think that's part of what's going on. It's just simply you're giving, you're giving the body an opportunity to to connect on a deeper level with itself, mm -hmm. to connect on a deeper level with that innate drive. Um, and I, 
I think there's probably more to it than that. I think there's more to it than that. I don't really advertise that because I'm not as confident when I, I'm not as confident in my belief that other things are going on. So I don't typically advertise it. Okay. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's quite possible that, you know, when you entrain the brain, and I'll, I'll explain the concept of entrainment just so we're on the same page here. Sure. The idea behind entrainment is that you know, the brain is an electrochemical organ. And so it, it communicates through uh, electrical pulses between synapses. And obviously you can read all of that activity on an EEG and uh, you know, you'll, get, you'll get waves of different frequencies, et cetera, you know, with different characteristics. And different frequencies of brain waves are associated with different mental and emotional states and also with different physical processes in the body. So, um, you know, beta waves are intense focus um, and also stress. Alpha waves, which are a lower frequency, are um, alert relaxation. You know, you might be walking, you might be taking a hike. You're probably an alpha. Theta is when you start to lose awareness of the outside world and you start to be more aware of the inner world. And then delta is usually deep sleep. Uh, it's the lowest frequency of activity. And that is associated with release of human growth hormone. It's, it's associated with a lot of growth and repair processes in the body. Um, and theta is also associated with uh, uh, dreaming, with REM sleep. Mm -hmm. And so you can actually entrain the brain into those states. You can actually cause the, the, the neural activity to fall into those states with uh, an external stimulus. And it's actually the tempo of the external stimulus. So the frequencies will actually synchronize with the tempo. So that's one of the reasons that flashing light can cause seizures, because it actually affects the electrical activity in your brain. But music can also do that. And that's the explanation I typically give to people when they say, how does this work? It's, it's entrainment. And you're bringing the body into those states. But, you know, I've also thought um, if you can entrain the brain, can you, what other parts of the body can you entrain? Like, can you entrain the cells of, of your, your liver? To, um, to a frequency that is associated with health. Um, and that's much more speculative. There's not, to my knowledge, there's no research on that. Mm -hmm. But based on things, some things that I've seen, I suspect that something like that may also be going on, that it may not just be affecting you at, you know, at the brain. It might be affecting you like physically at, you know, um, you know, in other organs, it might be affecting them. But I don't, I don't typically say that to people because there's just, that's pure speculation on my part. Right. Do you feel, um, do you feel that it's right? I mean, you, you said you, um, in going to even, uh, when you were first introduced to this energy genesis, you kind of mm -hmm. knew that it was kind of the path you had to go down. Do you feel a similar uh, outlook for 
that kind of uh, entrainment of different organs based on frequency? I do feel that it is correct. Mm -hmm. My intuition says that it is correct. Um, but I think it's important to, especially when you're, when you're doing something like this, it's important to back that up with, of course, with yeah. reason and evidence. It's important to back that up, but I, I do feel intuitively that it's correct. Hmm. Okay. What's the, um, so what, what do you see is like, do you have a next step in mind? The next step. Like what, what's, uh, yeah, how, how do you see, uh, or where would you like to see this unfolding? So I've got a couple of goals. Um, the primary goal right now is to establish a larger center that offers essentially complete healthcare. So have an MD, have what I have now with energogenesis, have massage, have red light, have a whole bunch of different modalities um, and treat the whole person. Mm -hmm. treat the whole person um, so you could come to the clinic and um, when you come in and you say you know I have these symptoms and then we find out okay you have high blood pressure um, we don't just say oh well let's let's get that high blood pressure down we say okay we, we're gonna do a holistic evaluation you know like I was saying before and go through your whole history and create a plan based on that um, that's the, the broader goal. I've taken some steps toward that. So I, I have a massage therapist here now. Um, and I have a red light practitioner as well. Um, and I'm in January, I will be starting a partnership with a chiropractor in uh, the next town over Topeka, um, where uh, that's probably going to be a second location. And I think ultimately, the location I have now, it's in a it's in a small town, and I don't foresee just because the just because the population isn't there, I don't foresee it ever becoming very large. Right. So what I'm going to be doing in January with this this chiropractor in Topeka, which is, I think it's like 200,000 people, so it's enough of a population to support, you know, a full a full size clinic. Um, I foresee that being the first time where I can set up a full size clinic. And, and build that, build that entire dream. Um, so I've taken some steps toward that, and I think 2021 is going to be the the bridge to that clinic. Um, and then, in conjunction with that, um, I know that I have a I have a book in me that I need to write. I have to write a book, and I don't know how long it's going to take to write that because I'm still fleshing these things out. But ultimately, it's a, it's a unified theory of health. Yeah. You know, it's a unified theory of health. It's, and it's incorporating the philosophy. It's incorporating spirituality. It's incorporating um, modern science into uh, a unified theory. All right, cool. Connor, you have anything else that you want to touch on or share or anything like that? that we didn't maybe go over? Um, I feel or anything like you wanted to ask? Me? I don't know. Well, I do want to ask you some questions. Um, sure. I want to learn a little bit about your background. 
Um, yeah, and I think I think that's about it. I, I know there's more in there, but that's probably another conversation. Okay, cool. So, what would you want to ask me? Uh, well, first of all, how did you how did you end up in this corner of Twitter? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I don't, um, I definitely didn't seek it out. Uh, but you know, a couple of years ago, um, I had, well, when I was 25, I quit my job. I didn't have another job lined up or anything like that. So I essentially spent a whole year, um, not working. But in that year, I, start, I traveled a little bit. Um, I did a lot of reading. I was into listening to a lot of podcasts and everything. So um, just in doing that, that really started to change how I would think about things. And um, uh, so over time, I started thinking to myself, okay, I keep on uh, consuming all these thoughts, these ideas from other people. What do I actually think? So um, I guess a few years ago, I started uh, writing, like keeping a notebook. Anytime I would have an idea that I thought was notable or anything like that, I'd start writing it down. Um, and then I kind of got over my own, I don't know, ego, what do you want to, however you want to call it. But um, that's when I started sharing stuff. So I started with a newsletter, I created a website and um, and just Twitter just started sharing all my ideas. And over time, I guess it just attracted certain people that I connected with. And um, that's pretty much how I found myself on this corner of Twitter. But I guess uh, put enough ideas out there and they resonate with some people in some ways. And um, people start reaching out in direct messages and uh all that different stuff. So that, that's how I found myself here. <laughs> but um, it's not anything I ever really sought out. And I actually avoided technology, like social media uh, for a long time. But um, within the past few years, uh, really just started to embrace it. Um, so yeah, that, that's how I, I found myself here. And I continue to try to put out uh, it's not even that I think uh, ideas worth sharing, I guess is what it is. I mean, they, they've if something strikes me enough that I'm compelled to write it down, um, I don't think that uh, I should make a judgment on it because it may, it may uh, be useful to someone else or at the very least it's useful for me to write it down and share it. So that's why I do that. And, um, I, I get nice reception on, on a lot of stuff. So uh, it, it encourages me to, uh, to continue on with that. But yeah, that's how I found myself here. That, that is actually kind of an unusual path. Just, just based on the number of people I've asked that question, it's kind of an unusual way into, uh, into this corner. Uh, how, how do most people answer that question? So most of the people I know who are in this corner, at least most people I've talked to, ended up either through uh, right-wing politics or um, the manosphere, 
you know, because obviously, you know, Pat Stedman is like the, the he, he came from the Manosphere. Yeah. Uh, I know Hutt kind of came here when Hutt was on here. He came from the man. He came through the Manosphere route. Um, I came politically. I, I started following Scott Adams in 2015 and just ended up finding a bunch of people. Um, I actually ended up kind of finding myself in the Manosphere corner of Twitter through Scott Adams, weirdly enough. And uh, that was kind of a, that was a, that was a fascinating experience. <laughs> but I found, I'm glad I was there because I, I found Pat Stedman mm-hmm. and Hud and a lot of other really cool people. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, yeah, I entered, uh, well, I guess we, we probably follow a lot of the same people now or a lot of the same people follow us. But I've Jeff definitely been adjacent to that whole world, um, so not necessarily like I. Uh, I was never into the manosphere type stuff, even the. I've been. It's funny. I, I um, in college I studied history and political science, and um, I've been pretty apolitical for a long time but somehow I find myself more in like the right wing sphere of Twitter just because for other reasons, but uh, I don't know. I, I resonate with that side of things. So yeah, uh, yeah I've, I've, my entry into this, this little corner or neighborhood, whatever you want to call it has been from an adjacent angle to a lot of people, I suppose. Yeah. What, what is your background originally? Um, what in terms of like work or yeah, work, work, family, school, whatever you want to talk about. Uh, it's really, it's, well, I don't see it as anything that notable, but, um, I went, I live in New Jersey, Jersey shore. Um, and I went to school for history, political science. Um, I thought about getting into government for a long time. And I quickly learned that um, that was kind of not the path I wanted to go down. I, um, so during college, I started working at a marina locally. And that's kind of the business I've been in ever since for the last 10 years is uh, boating, um, marinas, that type of stuff. So um, it's not necessarily what I would like to be in forever, but uh, it's what I've been able to make a living doing now. Um, more, I mean, in terms of going through my 20s, I'd say I've made some pretty uh, big changes in terms, like if you looked at me coming into when I was 20 through like 24 or so, I was probably very, um, I would probably consider myself a liberal atheist uh, and then that kind of changed in a big way. Um, I attribute a good portion of that to uh, reading and listening to Jordan Peterson's lectures. Mm-hmm. And um, now I, I'm still pretty apolitical. Uh, there are a lot of... Uh, so I, <laughs> I actually described myself... Or I can't forget, uh, um, remember who said it first, but... Um, do you know, well, Eric, um, do you know who that is, Eric? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've never spoken to him personally, but yeah, we've, we've interacted on Twitter. Yeah, so um, I forget if it was him or me that came up with it first, but uh, I've kind of morphed into 
what uh, we call the conservative beach hippie. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and in terms of my background beyond that, I mean, I've been interested in like health and fitness for a very long time. Um, so that that's kind of the side of my life that I'm progressing towards more so than what I've traditionally been in uh, as like a profession. Um, but yeah, I uh, come from a big family, uh, seven people, five kids, I'm the fourth of five. Um, most of them are older, well, they're uh, obviously fourth of five, most of them are older than I am. And um, yeah, uh, I mean, I, my background I don't think is too notable or special in any way or it doesn't really stand out, but um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Okay, so, so you grew up in, in New Jersey as well? Yeah, yep, yeah, I've always been here. Um, I live 25 minutes from where I grew up now. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I grew up in Eastern Pennsylvania. Um, uh, we lived in uh, Bethlehem for a while, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Okay. And, okay. Uh, we lived in the Poconos for a while as well. And then when I was 15, we moved to Kansas which was like a huge, uh, huge change in, in many ways. But, uh, but I love the Northeast. I miss the Northeast a lot. Mm -hmm. it's, a it's a good place. I mean, aside from the politics, it's a good place. Yeah, yeah you can't. Uh, aside, from the, aside from the politics, it's a good place. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So what else? Do you have any other questions? Any other questions? Uh, uh, well, I guess I'd, I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about your, I guess, your philosophical, spiritual journey. You know, how did you, you know, were, you said you were kind of a liberal atheist in your early 20s. Um, were you raised that way or? No, I, um... Catholic. Uh, I mean, we weren't really heavily practicing Catholics or anything like that, but um, I went to CCD, uh, like Sunday school, um, made confirmation and all that, but my family was never really big uh, on going to church regularly or anything like that. So um, I had a very, my upbringing was not very strict at all. Um, and I, I mean, my parents didn't really care about being a good Catholic and going to church every Sunday and all that. So um, I, I kind of fell into that whole realm that was uh, kind of like your rational scientific mind. Like in high school, I was very into um, like physics was my best subject. And um, I, I don't know, I, there was not a lot of room for spirituality. Like I saw it as a lot of bunk, but it was also not, um, I can't say that I was necessarily super happy all the time either. So um, like over the years, uh, I guess I'm just, especially in that when I was 25 and I took that year off, I was just very open to reading, learning a lot of different stuff, taking in new perspectives. 
and I just couldn't deny that side of things that um, spirituality is was something that I neglected for a long time, but it's actually very important. Um, so in terms of like my view, like if you were to ask me view on God or religion, I don't, I don't have a specific on that. Like I don't follow a certain um, paradigm for religion, but I do believe in God now, um, but not like a dog, dogmatic way of considering it. It's more of a, um, almost like a, uh, and uh, the human being has a divine spark and that is what drives you towards God is, uh, and it's your, um, it's your actions in doing that. Like you try to live up to your highest ideal and that is, um, uh, what makes up a relationship with God. So I, I even, um, I mean, all of these things have something to do with that. I think the fitness aspect, um, I believe that is one of my attempts to um, live up to like an ideal I have, which I, I mean, I have a tough, I have a tough time um, really putting words to it. Um, but I think that is something that I would, if I didn't believe in God, I wouldn't have uh, uh I wouldn't practice so hard to, to be physically, um, able. Um, the, like the, uh, when I, I think I was 26 or so, I stopped drinking altogether. I never had a problem with, uh, alcohol or anything like that, but I, I stopped just because it wasn't adding anything anymore. Like there was no, um, uh, there wasn't a big enjoyment that I couldn't get just another way. Like I didn't need alcohol to have a good time. So why continue to have that? It, it just, I mean, and I have a drink every now and now and again, mm -hmm. but um, it's maybe less than 10 drinks a year that I've had for the past four years, five years now. Um, and I feel like I'm rambling into <laughs> something off from what I started on. But um, all, all good conversations evolve into rambling. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> this is evidence. There's, there's a pattern. There's a pattern that you don't even realize. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, I do have a, I have a lot of trouble um, articulating what I actually believe. Um, and it, or if someone tells, asks me to describe myself, I, uh, that's always been a big blind spot for me. And I don't know, um, uh, it, it's hard for me to tell what other people, how other people see me. Um, and then I also have a difficult time um, kind of explaining what I actually feel, uh, like articulating it. Which I, I, I often get the, um, the reaction that like, people don't fully understand that because uh, they read a lot of what I write or something like that. And they're like, Oh, that really resonated with me. So they think that, um, I don't know, I'm able to have a better <laughs> connection or something like that. But uh, a lot of it is um, 
I don't know, I, I just have trouble with it. So I always struggle with these questions trying to describe myself. Um, and I feel like I fumble around a lot, but um, I don't know. It, it's useful to continue to do it, I guess, because I start uncovering stuff that uh, I wouldn't have gotten to otherwise. So yeah, you, you have a gut feeling about the way the, the way the universe works and what your place in it is, if you have a hard time fleshing it out. Yeah, I have a hard time explaining it to other people. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I know I, there's a certain level of truth that has, um, I feel, inside of me, so to speak. But uh, it's hard to... Uh, yeah, it's hard to articulate it in a way that would make sense to other people. Gotcha. Okay. Is that why you took up writing to try and to try and articulate that in some way? It's a good question. I mean, I don't. Um, I took up. I, I started writing because I thought it. It's. Um, You know when a um, uh, I took up writing because like it was as if the idea emerged from somewhere I didn't know, and the only way to hold on to it was to write it down, and I still feel feel like that, and I don't write like I, I don't have a writing practice, so I don't I don't even really like writing that much to be honest with you but I feel like it's the only way that I have um, to be able to get up whatever, or get out whatever's welling up from my subconscious, or I don't know what you want to call it, but it's my only way to um, hold on to it, to get it down, to share it. Um, that's why I do, like I never really liked writing in school. Um, in I mean, I was a history major, so I wrote papers all the time, but I never really enjoyed it that much. Um, the act of writing is just a way to uh, relay information that occurs to me or ideas that occur to me. Um, and I don't even know if they're true necessarily, but they're true enough for me to want to share. Um, and I think it would be, it, I would be worse off if I didn't share them. Like, like for, for me, like it, it's almost a, uh, um, uh, an exercise in, well, I don't know what it is in, but it, it's, it's something that, oh, an, an expression, so to speak. Um, but yeah, that, that's why I think I write. Um, yeah, I get the feeling I've, I've read your, some of your stuff on your, your website. And I, I always, it always feels when I'm reading it, like, like, like uh, an exploration and like, it's, it's really, uh, I find it fascinating because it's, it's like you're taking the reader on a journey of exploration, exploring this idea that occurred to you, exploring this sort of constellation of concepts. Um, but it's not like, um, it's not like a dogmatic thesis. It's like, a, it's, it's like exploring your way to, to a larger truth is almost what it feels like. I think that's a good way of um, explaining the way it feels 
because I don't I don't have a I don't have an answer with the writing. Like I don't have a conclusion. It's it's literally like the idea occurred to me and I I'm mapping out that segment of the path as it as it's coming to me. And that that's the best I can do. So I don't think that like I'm not trying to create some type of uh um overall thesis or something but it's it's just trying to follow that path as long as i can until the idea subsides yeah yeah i, I that comes through very clearly in your writing mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the that's one of the strengths of the writing like i think that's one of the things that's really attractive about it at least for me and, and maybe it's because in Myers-Briggs speak, I'm an ENFP, so I just love exploring ideas for the hell of it. So I get kind of a thrill out of that. Um, but I, that's one of the things that I find really uh, attractive about that style of writing. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what else, Connor? Is that, uh, I don't know if you're curious about anything else or if I even answered your questions. Like I said, I'm kind of uh, I feel like I'm blind when I'm talking about myself, but um, I don't know. Hopefully I was able to answer something. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting. I, I'm very curious about a lot of things, but I don't, uh, I don't know how far you want to go with that because, because we could go for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're probably going on two hours right now or so. Yeah. I think we're at, yeah, we're at two hours and 15 minutes, I think. So, well, we could, uh, we could maybe wrap it up there as a good long conversation. Um, I guess if you, if people listen to this and want to get in touch with you, they're interested in energy genesis or learning about you or your methods, or do you do coaching as well? Yeah, I do coaching. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I coach around, around the letting go method. Um, but I also coach more generally for people who, um, you know, some of my clients, um, want to, you know, they're looking to uh, stick to a particular diet or, or get an exercise routine or that sort of thing. And I basically help them learn how to make that a sustainable, long lasting change. Mm -hmm. Okay. How would, how would someone get in touch with you for that? Uh, they can, they can, I mean, if they're on Twitter, they can just DM me. Um, they can also go on my website and they can, there's a number on my website. Uh, you can call it or text it. Um, and then you can email me um, at info, I-N-F-O, at modernfunctionalwellness.com. Okay. And then your Twitter handle, Twitter handle is at Connor, P-O-L-20? Yep. C-O-N-N-O-R-P-O-L-2-0 is mine. And I could DM you on there. Yeah. You can, you can get in. Shoot me a DM. All right. Cool, Connor. Thanks for, uh, well, spending the time. It's good to connect with you and everything. And uh, maybe we'll do this again. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. It's really, uh, I really appreciate your doing this. And uh, it's always good to meet a Twitter mutual in person. Mm -hmm. Or I guess not in person, but over. It's always good to, yeah. to, to put a face and a voice to, to, the, uh, to the avatar. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really enjoy, uh, I've only recently started doing that I, I hadn't uh, uh, hadn't done that very much I, I I'd met a few mutuals in real life 
because um, I, I dated a girl that I met on Twitter and then I don't know if you know Sarah Kirby, but no. she ended up, uh, she was a Twitter mutual, not a mutual. I just, I followed her. I don't think she even knew who I was. I followed her and I don't think I ever even interacted with her, but I happened to meet her in person through a, through my, my then girlfriend. And uh, uh, she ended up marrying one of my best friends and moving to the town that I live in. And she now lives like uh, a couple blocks from my house. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of a, a very funny and probable story. Um, but it's always good to meet, to meet Twitter mutuals and hopefully we can uh, do it again. Sounds good. All right, thanks, Connor. All right. Have a good night, Keith. Yep, see you, man. Thanks for listening to this conversation. If you want to hear more like it, please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. If you're interested in connecting with me and exploring ideas of your own, the ones that shape your perspective, send me a DM at Keith Walkowitz at K-E-I-T-H-W-A-L-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z. Until we meet again, I'm Keith Walkowitz, and this is Intellect Optional.